Section 17 of Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report, by the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. Chapter 4, The Assassin, Part 6 Eyewitnesses At least twelve persons saw the man with the revolver in the vicinity of the Tippett crime scene at or immediately after the shooting. By the evening of November 22, five of them had identified Lee Harvey Oswald in police lineups as the man they saw. A sixth did so the next day. Three others subsequently identified Oswald from a photograph. Two witnesses testified that Oswald resembled the man they had seen. One witness felt he was too distant from the gunman to make a positive identification. A taxi driver, William Scoggins, was eating lunch in his cab, which was parked on Patton, facing the southeast corner of 10th Street and Patton Avenue, a few feet to the north. A police car moving east on 10th at about 10 or 12 miles an hour passed in front of his cab. About 100 feet from the corner, the police car pulled up alongside a man on the sidewalk. This man, dressed in a light-colored jacket, approached the car. Scoggins lost sight of him behind some shrubbery on the southeast corner lot, but he saw the policeman leave the car, heard three or four shots, and then saw the policeman fall. Scoggins hurriedly left his seat and hid behind the cab as the man came back toward the corner with gun in hand. The man cut across the yard through some bushes, passed within 12 feet of Scoggins, and ran south on Patton. Scoggins saw him and heard him mutter either, Poor damn cop or Poor dumb cop. The next day, Scoggins viewed a lineup of four persons and identified Oswald as the man whom he had seen the day before at 10th and Patton. In his testimony before the commission, Scoggins stated that he thought he had seen a picture of Oswald in the newspapers prior to the lineup identification on Saturday. He had not seen Oswald on television and had not been shown any photographs of Oswald by the police. Another witness, Domingo Benavides, was driving a pickup truck west on 10th Street. As he crossed the intersection, a block east of 10th and Patton, he saw a policeman standing by the left door of the police car parked along the south side of 10th. Benavides saw a man standing at the right side of the parked police car. He then heard three shots and saw the policeman fall to the ground. By this time, the pickup truck was across the street and about 25 feet from the police car. Benavides stopped and waited in the truck until the gunman ran to the corner. He saw him empty the gun and throw the shells into some bushes on the southeast corner lot. It was Benavides, using Tippett's car radio, who first reported the killing of Patrolman Tippett at about 1.16 p.m. Quote, We've had a shooting out here, end quote. He found two empty shells in the bushes and gave them to Patrolman J.M. Poe, who arrived on the scene shortly after the shooting. Benavides never saw Oswald after the arrest. 
When questioned by police officers on the evening of November 22, Benavides told them that he did not think that he could identify the man who fired the shots. As a result, they did not take him to the police station. He testified that the picture of Oswald, which he saw later on television, bore a resemblance to the man who shot Officer Tippett. Just prior to the shooting, Mrs. Helen Markham, a waitress in downtown Dallas, was about to cross 10th Street at Patton. As she waited on the northwest corner of the intersection for traffic to pass, she noticed a young man as he was, quote, almost ready to get up on the curb, end quote, at the southeast corner of the intersection, approximately 50 feet away. The man continued along 10th Street. Mrs. Markham saw a police car slowly approach the man from the rear and stop alongside of him. She saw the man come to the right window of the police car. As he talked, he leaned on the ledge of the right window with his arms. The man appeared to step back as the policeman, quote, calmly opened the car door, end quote, and very slowly got out and walked toward the front of the car. The man pulled a gun. Mrs. Markham heard three shots and saw the policeman fall to the ground near the left front wheel. She raised her hands to her eyes as the man started to walk back toward Patton. She peered through her fingers, lowered her hands, and saw the man doing something with his gun. Quote, he was just fooling with it. I didn't know what he was doing. I was afraid he was fixing to kill me. End quote. The man, quote, in kind of a little trot, end quote, headed down Patton toward Jefferson Boulevard a block away. Mrs. Markham then ran to Officer Tippett's side and saw him lying in a pool of blood. Helen Markham was screaming as she leaned over the body. A few minutes later, she described the gunman to a policeman. Her description and that of other eyewitnesses led to the police broadcast at 1.22 p.m. describing the slayer as, quote, about 30, 5 foot 8 inches, black hair, slender, end quote. At about 4.30 p.m., Mrs. Markham, who had been greatly upset by her experience, was able to view a lineup of four men handcuffed together at the police station. She identified Lee Harvey Oswald as the man who shot the policeman. Detective L.C. Graves, who had been with Mrs. Markham before the lineup, testified that she was, quote, quite hysterical, end quote, and was, quote, crying and upset, end quote. He said, that Mrs. Markham started crying when Oswald walked into the lineup room. In testimony before the commission, Mrs. Markham confirmed her positive identification of Lee Harvey Oswald as the man she saw kill Officer Tippett. In evaluating Mrs. Markham's identification of Oswald, the commission considered certain allegations that Mrs. Markham described the man who killed Patrolman Tippett as, quote, short, a little on the heavy side, end quote, and having, quote, somewhat bushy, end quote, hair. The commission reviewed the transcript of a phone conversation in which Mrs. Markham is alleged to have provided such a description. A review of the complete transcript has satisfied the commission that Mrs. Markham strongly reaffirmed her positive identification of Oswald and denied having described the killer as short, stocky, and having bushy hair. She stated that the man weighed about 150 pounds. Although she used the words, quote, a little bit bushy, end quote, to describe the gunman's hair, the transcript establishes that she was referring 
to the uncombed state of his hair, a description fully supported by a photograph of Oswald taken at the time of his arrest. Although, in the phone conversation, she described the man as, quote, short, end quote, on November 22nd, within minutes of the shooting and before the lineup, Mrs. Markham described the man to the police as five foot eight inches tall. During her testimony, Mrs. Markham initially denied that she ever had the above phone conversation. She has subsequently admitted the existence of the conversation and offered an explanation for her denial. Addressing itself solely to the probative value of Mrs. Markham's contemporaneous description of the gunman and her positive identification of Oswald at a police lineup, the Commission considers her testimony reliable. However, even in the absence of Mrs. Markham's testimony, there is ample evidence to identify Oswald as the killer of Tippett. Two young women, Barbara Jeanette Davis and Virginia Davis, were in an apartment of a multiple-unit house on the southeast corner of 10th and Patton when they heard the sound of gunfire and the screams of Helen Markham. They ran to the door in time to see a man with a revolver cut across their lawn and disappear around a corner of the house onto Patton. Barbara Jeanette Davis assumed that he was emptying his gun as, quote, he had it open and was shaking it, end quote. She immediately called the police. Later in the day, each woman found an empty shell on the ground near the house. These two shells were delivered to the police. On the evening of November 22, Barbara Jeanette and Virginia Davis viewed a group of four men in a lineup, and each one picked Oswald as the man who crossed their lawn while emptying his pistol. Barbara Jeanette Davis testified that no one had shown her a picture of Oswald before the identification and that she had not seen him on television. She was not sure whether she had seen his picture in a newspaper on the afternoon or evening of November 22 prior to the lineup. Her reaction when she saw Oswald in the lineup was that, quote, I was pretty sure it was the same man I saw. When they made him turn sideways, I was positive that was the one I seen, end quote. Similarly, Virginia Davis had not been shown pictures of anyone prior to the lineup and had not seen either television or the newspapers during the afternoon. She identified Oswald, who was the number two man in the lineup, as the man she saw running with the gun. She testified, quote, I would say that was him for sure, end quote. Barbara Jeanette Davis and Virginia Davis were sitting alongside each other when they made their positive identifications of Oswald. Each woman whispered Oswald's number to the detective. Each testified that she was the first to make the identification. William Arthur Smith was about a block east of 10th and Patton when he heard shots. He looked west on 10th and saw a man running to the west and a policeman falling to the ground. Smith failed to make himself known to the police on November 22. Several days later, he reported what he had seen and was questioned by FBI agents. Smith subsequently told a commission staff member that he saw Oswald on television the night of the murder and thought that Oswald was the man he had seen running away from the shooting. On television, Oswald's hair looked blonde, whereas Smith remembered that the man who ran away had hair that was brown or brownish-black. Later, 
the FBI showed Smith a picture of Oswald. In the picture, the hair was brown. According to his testimony, Smith told the FBI, quote, it looked more like him than it did on television, end quote. He stated further that from, quote, what I saw of him, end quote, the man looked like the man in the picture. Two other important eyewitnesses to Oswald's flight were Ted Calloway, manager of a used car lot on the northeast corner of Patton Avenue and Jefferson Boulevard, and Sam Ginyard, a porter at the lot. They heard the sound of shots to the north of their lot. Calloway heard five shots, and Ginyard three. Both ran to the sidewalk on the east side of Patton, at a point about a half a block south of 10th. They saw a man coming south on Patton, with a revolver held high in his right hand. According to Calloway, the man crossed to the west side of Patton. From across the street, Calloway yelled, quote, Hey man, what the hell is going on? End quote. He slowed down, halted, said something, and then kept on going to the corner, turned right, and continued west on Jefferson. Ginyard claimed that the man ran down the east side of Patton and passed within ten feet of him before crossing to the other side. Ginyard and Calloway ran to Tenth and Patton and found Tippett lying in the street beside his car. Apparently he had reached for his gun. It lay beneath him outside of the holster. Calloway picked up the gun. He and Scoggins attempted to chase down the gunman in Scoggins' taxicab, but he had disappeared. Early in the evening of November 22, Ginyard and Calloway viewed the same lineup of four men from which Mrs. Markham had earlier made her identification of Lee Harvey Oswald. Both men picked Oswald as the man who had run south on Patton with a gun in his hand. Calloway told the commission, quote, So they brought four men in. I stepped to the back of the room so I could kind of see him from the same distance which I had seen him before, and when he came out I knew him, end quote. Ginyard said, quote, I told them that was him right there. I pointed him out right there. End quote. Both Calloway and Ginyard testified that they had not been shown any pictures by the police before the lineup. The Dallas Police Department furnished the commission with pictures of the men who appeared in the lineups with Oswald, and the commission has inquired into general lineup procedures used by the Dallas Police as well as the specific procedures in the lineups involving Oswald. The commission is satisfied that the lineups were conducted fairly. As Oswald ran south on Patton Avenue toward Jefferson Boulevard, he was moving in the direction of a used car lot located on the southeast corner of this intersection. Four men, Warren Reynolds, Harold Russell, Pat Patterson, and L.J. Lewis, were on the lot at the time, and they saw a white male with a revolver in his hands running south on Patton. When the man reached Jefferson, he turned right and headed west. Reynolds and Patterson decided to follow him. When he reached a gasoline service station one block away, he turned north and walked toward a parking area in the rear of the station. Neither Reynolds nor Patterson saw the man after he turned off Jefferson at the service station. These four witnesses were interviewed by FBI agents two months after the shooting. 
Russell and Patterson were shown a picture of Oswald, and they stated that Oswald was the man they saw on November 22, 1963. Russell confirmed this statement in a sworn affidavit for the commission. Patterson, when asked later to confirm his identification by affidavit, said he did not recall having been shown the photograph. He was then shown two photographs of Oswald, and he advised that Oswald was, quote, unquestionably, end quote, the man he saw. Reynolds did not make a positive identification when interviewed by the FBI, but he subsequently testified before a commission staff member and, when shown two photographs of Oswald, stated that they were photographs of the man he saw. L.J. Lewis said in an interview that because of the distance from which he observed the gunman, he would hesitate to state whether the man was identical with Oswald. Murder Weapon when Oswald was arrested, he had in his possession a Smith & Wesson 38 Special Caliber Revolver, serial number V510210. Two of the arresting officers placed their initials on the weapon, and a third inscribed his name. All three identified Exhibit Number 143 as the revolver taken from Oswald when he was arrested. Four cartridge cases were found in the shrubbery, on the corner of 10th and Patton, by three of the eyewitnesses, Domingo Benavides, Barbara Jeanette Davis, and Virginia Davis. It was the unanimous and unequivocal testimony of expert witnesses before the commission that these used cartridge cases were fired from the revolver in Oswald's possession to the exclusion of all other weapons. Cortland Cunningham, of the Firearms Identification Unit of the FBI Laboratory, testified that he compared the four empty cartridge cases found near the scene of the shooting with a test cartridge fired from the weapon in Oswald's possession when he was arrested. Cunningham declared that this weapon fired the four cartridges to the exclusion of all other weapons. Identification was effected through breech face marks and firing pin marks, Robert A. Frazier and Charles Killian, other FBI firearms experts, independently examined the four cartridge cases and arrived at the same conclusion as Cunningham. At the request of the commission, Joseph D. Nickel, superintendent of the Illinois Bureau of Criminal Identification Investigation, also examined the four cartridge cases found near the site of the homicide and compared them with the test cartridge cases fired from the Smith & Wesson revolver taken from Oswald. He concluded that all of these cartridges were fired from the same weapon. Cunningham compared four lead bullets recovered from the body of Patrolman Tippett with test bullets fired from Oswald's revolver. He explained that the bullets were slightly smaller than the barrel of the pistol which had fired them. This caused the bullets to have an erratic passage through the barrel and impressed upon the lead of the bullets inconsistent individual characteristics which made identification impossible. Consecutive bullets fired from the revolver by the FBI experts could not be identified as having been fired from that revolver. Cunningham testified that all of the bullets were mutilated, one being useless for comparison purposes. All four bullets were fired from a weapon with five lands and grooves and a right twist, 
which were the rifling characteristics of the revolver taken from Oswald. He concluded, however, that he could not say whether the four bullets were fired from the revolver in Oswald's possession. Quote, the only thing I can testify is they could have, on the basis of the rifling characteristics, they could have been. End quote. Nickel differed with the FBI experts on one bullet taken from Tippett's body. He declared that this bullet was fired from the same weapon that fired the test bullets to the exclusion of all other weapons. But he agreed that because the other three bullets were mutilated, he could not determine if they had been fired from the same weapon as the test bullets. The examination and testimony of the experts enabled the Commission to conclude that five shots may have been fired, even though only four bullets were recovered. Three of the bullets recovered from Tippett's body were manufactured by Winchester Western, and the fourth bullet by Remington Peters, but only two of the four discarded cartridge cases found on the lawn at 10th Street and Patton Avenue were of Winchester Western manufacture. Therefore, one cartridge case of this type was not recovered, and though only one bullet of Remington Peters manufacture was recovered, two empty cartridge cases of that make were retrieved. Therefore, Either one bullet of Remington Peters manufacture is missing, or one used Remington Peters cartridge case, which may have been in the revolver before the shooting, was discarded along with the others as Oswald left the scene. If a bullet is missing, five were fired. This corresponds with the observation and memory of Ted Calloway and possibly Warren Reynolds, but not with the other eyewitnesses who claim to have heard from two to four shots. Ownership of Revolver By checking certain importers and dealers after the assassination of President Kennedy and slaying of Officer Tippett, agents of the FBI determined that George Rose and Company of Los Angeles was a major distributor of this type of revolver. Records of Seaport Traders Incorporated, a mail-order division of George Rose and Company, disclosed that on January 3, 1963, the company received from Empire Wholesale Sporting Goods Limited, Montreal, a shipment of 99 guns in one case. Among these guns was a 38 special caliber Smith & Wesson revolver, serial number V510210, the only revolver made by Smith & Wesson with this serial number. When first manufactured, it had a 5-inch barrel, George Rose and Company had the barrel shortened by a gunsmith to two and one-quarter inches. Sometime after January 27, 1963, Seaport Traders Incorporated received through the mail a mail-order coupon for one, quote, .38 STW 2-inch BBL, unquote, cost $29.95. $10 in cash was enclosed. The order was signed in ink by, quote, A.J. Hedell, aged 28, end quote. The date of the order was January 27, no year shown, and the return address was Post Office Box 2915, Dallas, Texas. Also on the order form was an order, written in ink, for one box of ammunition and one holster, but a line was drawn through these items. 
the mail order form had a line for the name of a witness to attest that the person ordering the gun was a U.S. citizen and had not been convicted of a felony. The name written in this space was D. F. Drittle. Heinz W. Michaelis, office manager of both George Rose and Company, Incorporated, and Seaport Traders, Incorporated, identified records of Seaport Traders, Incorporated, which showed that a quote, .38 S and W special two-inch commando serial number V510210 was shipped on March 20, 1963, to A.J. Hedell, Post Office Box 2915, Dallas, Texas. The invoice was prepared on March 13, 1963. The revolver was actually shipped on March 20 by Railway Express. The balance due on the purchase was $19.95. Michaelis furnished the shipping copy of the invoice and the Railway Express Agency shipping documents showing that $19.95 plus $1.27 shipping charge had been collected from the consignee, Hedell. Handwriting experts, Alwyn Cole of the Treasury Department and James C. Cadigan of the FBI, testified before the Commission that the writing on the coupon was Oswald's. The signature of the witness, D. F. Drittle, who attested that the fictitious Hedell was an American citizen and had not been convicted of a felony, was also in Oswald's handwriting. Marina Oswald gave as her opinion that the mail-order coupon was in Oswald's handwriting. When shown the revolver, she stated that she recognized it as the one owned by her husband. She also testified that this appeared to be the revolver seen in Oswald's belt in the picture she took in late March or early April 1963 when the family was living on Neely Street in Dallas. Police found an empty revolver holster when they searched Oswald's room on Beckley Avenue after his arrest. Marina Oswald testified that this was the holster which contained the revolver in the photographs taken on Neely Street. Oswald's Jacket Approximately 15 minutes before the shooting of Tippett, Oswald was seen leaving his rooming house. He was wearing a zippered jacket, which he had not been wearing moments before when he had arrived home. When Oswald was arrested, he did not have a jacket. Shortly after Tippett was slain, policemen found a light-colored zipper jacket along the route taken by the killer as he attempted to escape. At 1.22 p.m., the Dallas Police Radio described the man wanted for the murder of Tippett as, quote, a white male, about 30, 5 foot 8 inches, black hair, slender, wearing a white jacket, white shirt, and dark slacks, end quote. According to Patrolman Poe, this description came from Mrs. Markham and Mrs. Barbara Jeanette Davis. Mrs. Markham told Poe that the man was a, quote, white male, about 25, about 5 feet 8, brown hair, medium, end quote, and wearing a, quote, white jacket, end quote. Mrs. Davis gave Poe the same general description, a, quote, white male in his early 20s, around 5 foot 7 inches, or 8 inches, about 145 pounds, end quote, and wearing a white jacket. As has been discussed previously, 
Two witnesses, Warren Reynolds and B. M. Patterson, saw the gunman run toward the rear of a gasoline service station on Jefferson Boulevard. Mrs. Mary Brock, the wife of a mechanic who worked at the station, was there at the time, and she saw a white male, five feet ten inches, wearing light clothing, a light-colored jacket, walk past her at a fast pace with his hands in his pocket. She last saw him in the parking lot directly behind the service station. When interviewed by FBI agents on January 21, 1964, she identified a picture of Oswald as being the same person she saw on November 22. She confirmed this interview by a sworn affidavit. At 1.24 p.m., the police radio reported, quote, the suspect last seen running west on Jefferson from 400 East Jefferson. Police Captain W.R. Westbrook and several other officers concentrated their search along Jefferson Boulevard. Westbrook walked through the parking lot behind the service station and found a light-colored jacket lying under the rear of one of the cars. Westbrook identified Commission Exhibit Number 162 as the light-colored jacket which he discovered underneath the automobile. This jacket belonged to Lee Harvey Oswald. Marina Oswald stated that her husband owned only two jackets, one blue and the other gray. The blue jacket was found in the Texas School Book Depository and was identified by Marina Oswald as her husband. Marina Oswald also identified Commission Exhibit Number 162, the jacket found by Captain Westbrook, as her husband's second jacket. The eyewitnesses vary in their identification of the jacket. Mrs. Earlene Roberts, the housekeeper at Oswald's rooming house, and the last person known to have seen him before he reached 10th Street and Patton Avenue, said that she may have seen the gray zipper jacket, but she was not certain. It seemed to her that the jacket Oswald wore was darker than Commission Exhibit Number 162. Ted Calloway, who saw the gunman moments after the shooting, testified that Commission Exhibit Number 162 looked like the jacket he was wearing, but, quote, I thought it had a little more tan to it, end quote. Two other witnesses, Sam Ginyard and William Arthur Smith, testified that Commission Exhibit Number 162 was the jacket worn by the man they saw on November 22. Mrs. Markham and Barbara Davis thought that the jacket worn by the slayer of Tippett was darker than the jacket found by Westbrook. Scoggins thought it was lighter. There is no doubt, however, that Oswald was seen leaving his rooming house at about 1 p.m., wearing a zipper jacket, that the man who killed Tippett was wearing a light-colored jacket, that he was seen running along Jefferson Boulevard, that a jacket was found under a car in a lot adjoining Jefferson Boulevard, that the jacket belonged to Lee Harvey Oswald, and that when he was arrested at approximately 1.50 p.m., he was in shirt sleeves. These facts warrant the finding that Lee Harvey Oswald disposed of his jacket as he fled from the scene of the Tippett killing. Conclusion The foregoing evidence establishes that 1. Two eyewitnesses who heard the shots and saw the shooting of Dallas Police Patrolman J.D. Tippett 
and seven eyewitnesses who saw the flight of the gunman with revolver in hand positively identified Lee Harvey Oswald as the man they saw fire the shots or flee from the scene. Two, the cartridge cases found near the scene of the shooting were fired from the revolver in the possession of Oswald at the time of his arrest to the exclusion of all other weapons. Three, the revolver in Oswald's possession at the time of his arrest was purchased by and belonged to Oswald, and four, Oswald's jacket was found along the path of flight taken by the gunman as he fled from the scene of the killing. On the basis of this evidence, the commission concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald killed Dallas Police Patrolman J.D. Tippett. End of section 17. Recording by Linda Johnson.